Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Red Zone Restricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chloe Bloxham and Chris Coughlin to look ahead to Liverpool's return to action this week. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool finally back. Last played on the 12th of November, I believe, against Southampton, but will be once again taking to the field competitively to face Manchester City in the Carabao Cup. So we will look at that. We will look at the second half of the season more generally, or more accurately, maybe the second phase of the season, because it paused maybe a bit earlier than the midway point exactly. But we'd be remiss not to reflect on the World Cup in general, and especially on Sunday's unbelievable final. Um, and by way of an opener, and we could probably do a you know half an hour or so on this, but we'll try and keep it quite brief. Um, a lot of people are declaring that not only the greatest World Cup final, but the greatest football match full stop yesterday. And obviously as Liverpool fans, that kind of brings your mind back to Istanbul, which would, I think, have been uh, widely viewed uh, as the best, certainly up until yesterday. Um, I asked this question on a stream this morning and got um, <laughs> I got rebuked a little bit for putting people on the spot. So I, I've, I've warned you both that I'm going to ask this. I'll come to you first, Chris. The World Cup final yesterday or, or Istanbul, which do you think was the better game and why? I, I, and I'll reiterate, that's an unbelievable question. <laughs> that is a brilliant question. Um, in terms of quality throughout, I would say the World Cup final. In, in terms of enjoyment, it's a funny one because I was only nine for Istanbul. And obviously, you totally enjoyed it. I was in Spain with my family. I just remember like bursting past the guards by the pool and just jumping in and just absolutely going crazy when they do like save from Shevchenko. Um, obviously, me being a bit more of a mature football fan now, me being a diehard Lionel Messi fan, I always have been, yesterday was absolutely incredible. So I do really think there are um, factors for both. In terms of a fan, you, you have got to put Istanbul first through the the sense of club bias, through the sense of just you know, the, the history of the club. But absolutely, yesterday was, just for what it meant, as arguably as close as it can get, um, just because you know even after the game, I was just, beyond buzzing for him and he totally totally deserves of course there's many more players in the Argentina team there really are but um, I'm just so glad he can say he's a World Cup winner which is a longer way of answering the question I'm not sure I have I have actually answered it just because they're both incredible games but you know Istanbul you know, as Liverpool fans as we are it will always maybe stand out that bit more above the rest yeah I mean there's limited value, perhaps, in asking this question on, on a Liverpool FC podcast full of Liverpool fans, but um, I would sort of be reticent to put it above Istanbul. You know, I was um, only sort of four or five when, when that game happened. I think, Chloe, maybe you were even a little bit younger than that. So I don't actually you know remember it too vividly at the time. Obviously, just kind of watching it back um, later down the line is what's kind of informed my judgment of it. The one thing I, I would say in terms of what yesterday's game had that Istanbul maybe didn't is the two superstars going sort of hammer and tongs and, and going back and forth in, in Messi and Mbappe. And I think that's kind of 
something we always almost dream about when we've got a game of this magnitude and we make it always about these two players. And sometimes it doesn't actually work out that way and you get kind of the unlikely hero. But yesterday it was very much the story of Messi and Mbappe. And I think that very much um, enhanced the game. Obviously with Istanbul, um, the dynamics were different. Those two teams yesterday were probably quite evenly matched overall, even if France didn't turn up until sort of 10 minutes ago. Um, whereas Istanbul, it was more of an underdog story. Liverpool maybe didn't have the superstars like like those two team, teams did yesterday. So not an ideal comparison, but that is one factor that I'd consider. But Chloe, do you have any sort of um, thoughts on this one? It is a, is a very sort of tricky question to answer, I suppose. Uh, no, for me, it's pretty straightforward. It's Istanbul. I'm a Liverpool fan. Uh, so I'm obviously going to say Istanbul. Yesterday, you saw two brilliant uh, teams go head-to-head. You saw two of the greatest players right now go head-to-head and the greatest, in my opinion, ended up winning it. Um, but you saw two teams that have superstars all over the pitch, pretty much. I mean, Rodrigo De Paul, what he's what he done, yeah, I don't really like him. Um, but he was absolutely everywhere. You look at the, the defence, even, you know, Tagliafico coming in doing boss for them. Uh, I think his name's Molina at right-back, Emmy Martinez. Um, there are players who could step up for both sides. Um, and with the way France were playing throughout the entire tournament, it was going to be evenly matched. Istanbul was never like that. Istanbul, Liverpool shouldn't have won that game. Liverpool shouldn't have even have had a chance. Uh, the team that we were up against, um, opposed to the team that we have, there was absolutely levels above it. Um, and yet we had Steven Gerrard, but we didn't have a Lionel Messi on our team. Um, so for that reason alone, Istanbul was better. We had to score three goals in 45 minutes to take it to penalties. Um and you know there, there are very there are a lot of similarities. I mean, Emmy Martinez makes an incredible save in extra time. Shevchenko has one saved by Jersey Dudek, which just seems absolutely impossible. Both of those saves. So there's a lot of similarities. But for me, I'm a red. I'm going to say Istanbul. Um, but you know, Argentina with Messi, he could do absolutely anything because he's Lionel Messi. Um and I'm 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 so glad for him. I wanted him to win before the World Cup started. Um and I'm really happy that he, he's got that trophy. On the saves, by the way, that is such a good point because we were saying today at work, like it, it almost feels written and I genuinely put you could put them both in the same category. I, I I think they're both genuinely top five savers of all time. I really do. That's how highly I rate both of those saves. I mean, Martinez yesterday, I still can't believe it. And Dudex was just almost impossible. So they're both in the top five of all time for me. And you could probably say the same about sort of the, the fixtures generally, I suppose, that the two games that we've been talking about. And, you know, that AC Milan side, definitely one of the the greatest club teams of all time. You know, every time I look at it, I'm just sort of mystified that those players were all kind of playing together, really. Um in one side, but um, I suppose what you would say to kind of put a, a pin in it is they both sort of show you, as much as it's almost a little bit um, cheesy to say, that they show you kind of why why football is the greatest sport in the world and they kind of do that in different ways you'd say. Um, bit of a shame that um, the game had to happen in uh, in Qatar. It's probably the, the perfect sports washing, but it's, and strictly the, the football side of it, it was a an amazing spectacle after threatening to fizzle out like it did, you know, that game looked like it was heading for kind of a very 
one-sided, pretty, I wouldn't say a dull game, but um, not the most exciting victory for Argentina and then just exploded into life and all the madness from there. But um, was there something else you want to say on that first call, actually? Yeah, you mentioned that it was going to be quite a boring final. There was, Otamendi is the catalyst for France's comeback. He is literally the catalyst. There was, before he makes that mistake that gives them the penalty, there's another couple of mistakes he gets away with where he's watching the ball. Well, where he isn't watching the ball, he's watching the man instead and gets turned and he gets away with a couple of them. Um, And that one, he doesn't. He has a lapse in concentration. He doesn't look where the ball is. He gets stuck under the ball and then he feels the need to bring them down and he brings them down. It's a penalty. There is one person there who's literally caused an ignite to the comeback um, and you could arguably say Steven Gerrard did that for us as well with, with that header, that bit of magic out of nowhere. So um, there was one person who, and I guess you can say Mbappe because Mbappe, you know, scores three goals in, in a World Cup final. Um, but Argentina were absolutely cruising that game until just a mistake. And that mistake gave France hope. And that's, that's when you could see Argentina collapse. And they've done that before. They've done it in the tournament against Netherlands. Um, Liverpool, where you, you go back to Istanbul, that AC Milan team, not heard of collapsing. The players they had, it was such a strong side compared to the Liverpool side that for them to collapse, it would almost be you know unheard of, impossible. Um, and I think France just had too many superstars on there and Argentina had too many players who, Otamendi for me, is a little bit of a... I mean, he's, he's won a World Cup, so he doesn't really care, but he has his moments where he can... I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he gives away the stupid foul for the Netherlands' 2-2 goal. Uh, he just runs into the back of someone to try and edit a ball where, when he can't win it. So they had players who could perhaps maybe make a mistake and let the other team in. It wasn't really like that with... I mean, yeah, we got a penalty in the Istanbul final, but... That the that AC Milan team just had superstars in literally every single position along the pitch, um. So I I probably think that's why obviously Liverpool's win is a bit higher just because the sheer difference in teams, um. But like I said, you know, Argentina crews and Otamendi makes a mistake and it gets France's belief up all the way, um. And they have a superstar in Mbappe who can do magical things, and he he's shown up. Um, and it, it was it was the greatest World Cup game. That's what I will say. I just wouldn't put it on the level. Well, it's up there with Istanbul, but obviously I'm going to tip me hat to Istanbul more. Yeah, maybe the the greatest international game, and then you'd have um, Istanbul as the greatest club game if you wanted to be diplomatic about it. But yeah, certainly on the Ottomendi point, um, not exactly kind of Nesta and Stam. Um, that, that 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 partnership, if you wanted to make the direct comparison, but obviously we saw, um, I think it was seven Liverpool players involved. Can I say getting the furthest? Um, we saw a few of them get to the quarterfinals: Van Dijk, Allison, Fabinho, Trent, and Henderson, and Nunez going out in the group stages. So definitely um, a mixed um, mixed affair for Liverpool. Can I say obviously just missing out on another defeat in a final for him? Um, but another. Interesting aspect of the World Cup always is looking at players who you might sort of add to your team, possible transfer opportunities. And a lot of the focus has been on Jude Bellingham, Enzo Fernandez, obviously one young player of the tournament, even players like Amrabat. 
But beyond those three who you'd say have been quite heavily linked and there maybe isn't much point in, in talking too much about them for that reason. Was there anyone, Chris, who stood out to you maybe who hasn't had as much attention who you think would be a really nice sign for Liverpool to make? I think and he has been linked. So it'd be wrong for me to say that he hasn't been. But certainly in the group stages, I really liked what I saw of, of Cody Gakpo. Um, I think whoever he goes to, because I, I can't see him being at PSV for too long, um, I think it'd be a, a really nice addition too. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned Emre Batches because I think there's been a lot of comparisons kind of drawn along with Fabinho. I also didn't realise... I mean, look, I'm... I'm I'm 27 on Wednesday, so I didn't, you know, Amrabat's still 26, um, but I didn't quite realise how old he was, if that makes sense, and I'm calling a 26-year-old old, and that, that just sounds utterly bonkers, um, but maybe I've got my kind of football manager, FIFA manager head on here, where I'm kind of aiming for um, younger players, if that makes sense, in terms of having more value to them long-term. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've been on record here many times, when I've said that I think um, that Liverpool's biggest area of, in terms of having a lack of depth, is that defensive midfield position. I've said it for a long time. And um, I like Basetic. I'm just not sure that he'd be there to kind of step up in, in that kind of scenario um, if Fabinho wasn't available, if that makes sense. Um just kind of, you know, re- refreshing from what I see as well. Um, you know, even it, it's interesting when you look at like some Japan, they did really, really well. But are there players there that I think would necessarily improve Liverpool? Not overly sure. Um, it's interesting because even like I look at, say, Mexico, I, I thought Mexico were incredibly hard done by to get dumped out. And I thought like some Chavez in midfield for them, I thought he had. A pretty good tournament. I, I think they would. I think they were very unlucky to get knocked out. Given that, I think Poland might have been one of the most boring teams to advance other group stages that I've ever seen. Um, other than that, again, I've heard Kudus mentioned. Other than that game against South Korea and that one little burst in midfield against Portugal, I'm not sure he was overly exciting. But then again, we we've seen him in the flesh, haven't we, at Anfield? And he was you know, an amazing finish in the Champions League in uh, in that game. So, I'll be honest with you, there weren't too many players that haven't already been linked that went far into the tournament that I was overly concerned about in terms of a link to Liverpool. But I think the, well, the if, if we're talking about players or stars that didn't really get a mention beforehand, I mean, it, it, Unahi, isn't it? <laughs> you know, if, if, if there's going to be one man who wasn't known before the World Cup, who could well get a massive move? It, it, it's Unahi, isn't it, for, for for Morocco? So it'll be very interesting to see what his next move is. But in terms of players that I think haven't been linked as such, that that's about it. But you know, he he had an incredible tournament. He did. Uh, Morocco, obviously, the first uh, African team ever to to reach the the semi-finals. Um, we was there anyone maybe from from that Morocco side who, who stood out to you, and and also generally in the competition as a whole? Any players you, you sort of saw and think, I really like the look of him and I reckon he'd kind of look good in red? Yeah, my, my answer was going to be Unahi as well. I assume that's how you say it. Um, he just looked, I mean, he's only 22, I think, and he, he looked such a bright spark. And in a team where um, 
Morocco didn't seem as attacking. They had some unbelievable wins, but they were so defensively solid. He he was a really big spark for them. And obviously, you know, Ziyech, Bufal had a, a, a boss tournament. But the other player who I think was absolutely immense and I'd love him to play for Liverpool, but he won't be playing for Liverpool and he'll probably be playing for Chelsea or someone. One of our big rivals is Gavardiol from Croatia. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, he got turned inside out by Messi, but don't we all? Um, I think pretty much everyone does. Um, uh, when when Messi's in that form and when Messi does something like that, um, but you know he's only a youngster and I I thought he was really good before the tournament, um, for RB Leipzig, and he's shown up um for Croatia and he was brilliant, twenty years of age, um, and yeah I I thought he bossed it to be honest. So Gavardiol would be be the other player. I think he'd mentioned something about Liverpool throughout the World Cup or just before, um, but we're not actually linked with them because we don't, I don't think we, I'd, I'd love another centre-half, but when you've got Kanata, Van Dijk, Joel Matip, Joe Gomez, where do you fit Gavardiol in? Um, <laughs> where does the pecking order go? Um, so, yeah, I think he, I think he's going to be a player that I'll have to admire, whilst also hating because he will go to a direct rival. Yeah, it's right a right player, wrong time situation uh, with Vardial. I think pretty much has everything you'd want um, from from a centre back. Certainly, kind of looks like he's going to be one of the best of of this next generation coming through. The vacancy isn't there at Liverpool, but you know, with the whole Messi thing, I think if he does kind of come to the Premier League now, because a lot of people won't necessarily be watching him too much between now and then, it'll be a case of oh. Guardiola, who got you know spun by Messi, even even you have to sort of say it there. Chloe is like almost acknowledge it, but we shouldn't really let Messi getting past um, getting past you sort of um, be something that is a, is a stick to beat you with because he is he is the best best player in history. So certainly not a disqualifier for him. In terms of just a few players for me, I quite liked a couple of the um, of the US players. Bit of a uh, uh, a strange shout maybe, but. Yunus Musa, the uh, young midfield. I think he was in Arsenal's academy. He looked really good. I have a suspicion, and I'll definitely be sort of clipping this um, and coming back to it if it arrives in the summer, that Liverpool will end up looking at Tyler Adams. Obviously, he's a player who's kind of from the uh, the Red Bull the Red Bull school, if you like. Um, he had a decent World Cup, I thought. Played well, against, um, played well against us when Leeds beat us at Anfield too. And the other one, I'd say, in terms of a, a dream signing, not as realistic a signing, um, although he doesn't seem to be totally in favour of Atletico, is, is João Felix, who I thought, especially in that game against Switzerland, was was absolutely amazing. Um, and Portugal looked like looked then like they might win the World Cup and then go and get dumped out by Morocco in the next round. So that was quite mad. But yes, we've had a break from, from Liverpool. Um, I think potentially more welcome than it, it would be in a normal season, given the way it's gone. But there's, there's plenty of um, cautious optimism, I'd say, ahead of the second part of the season that Liverpool will use the opportunity to press the reset button. But Chris, how do Liverpool improve? Like we'll try and have sort of an open discussion about this. We have talked a lot about his opportunity to go again and, and almost have a bit of a clean slate ahead of the second half, but it's all well and good saying it. How do they actually do it? That is a very good question. I think the the you know obviously it wasn't ideal 
ending the first part of the season, if you like, in, in sixth place. And yeah, the, the points difference really to, to the top four teams. But overall, you know, the form, bar the Forest and Leeds games, was, was good. You know, it was eight, eight out of the last 10 games before the break were wins. Um, yes, it might not have felt like that just because of those two games. But great performance against Ajax, solid display against Napoli, great win away to Tottenham. Although that that, that was you know, that was one of the games there where it was kind of like the, the whole digging in where Liverpool found a way again. I heard Phil Thompson speaking recently about Liverpool finding a way in games, and that Spurs one, you know, was definitely right up there. Given that I think the second half probably aged us all about ten years. I think in terms of how Liverpool go about it, the frustration is, of course, with um, Jota and Diaz's injuries that Liverpool might only have one way, if, if that makes sense, in terms of the forward options. Because I was thinking about this um, earlier in the week about Nunez, given that I was a bit disappointed with him at the World Cup, I mean, to be honest with you, I was disappointed with the Uruguay as a whole because I thought I, I expected a lot more from them in the tournament. Um, Nunez was slightly frustrating, but also wasn't helped at times by the service he received. But now, if you look at the start of the season, when, of course, there was a frustration of the red card against Crystal Palace, this is the flip side of it now, where if you're talking Liverpool's first choice available starting eleven. He is borderline undroppable. He really is. And if we're talking about integrating him and talking about, you know, really continuing the, the good stuff that we saw towards the end of the first section of the season, this is really a chance for him to push on now. Brilliant for him to get the two goals against AC Milan uh, in, in the friendly. I think I said, uh, I think I saw you say on uh, Twitter, Dave, you know, he makes friendlies unmissable doesn't he because you just don't know what's going to happen with the guy but really composed finish first of all the second one was maybe a bit more fortunate but ultimately it ended up in the back of the net so for me in terms of to answer your question directly how did Liverpool go about improving Darwin Nunez is a colossal part of that because integrating him fully with a fully fit Thiago Alcantara as well it has to be said if those two really hit the ground running for Liverpool after this restart, I think there can be a very good second half of the season. Yeah, not not the only uh, players sort of coming back into the fold, you know, where Otto can hopefully contribute in at least some capacity. Cater as well has returned. Oxley chamberlain again, these are all injury-prone players. If you can keep a couple of them fit for a, a certain period of time, though it does give you a lot more options in terms of rotation, but also in terms of, you know, stylistically, I suppose, and being able to change things around within your midfield. Yeah, no, you're right. I I, I think as well, it's a bit of a frustration as well for me when, when, when we're talking about those kind of players, because let's be honest, all three players you've just mentioned there aren't going to be Liverpool players come the summer, are they? Yeah. Or very, very unlikely to be next season. Um, I've, you know, nah, it, 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 it's quite a bold statement for me, but I've always believed if Oxlade-Chamberlain hadn't got injured against Roma, I think he would have been one of the best players of the club era. 
not just one of the best midfielders. I think he would have been one of the best players just because that was the best football I've ever seen him play up until that point. And it was devastating, that injury against Roma. And it's a bold statement, but I'm prepared to die on that sword. Naby Keita, I don't think we've ever really seen the best of him. We've seen flashes. He's clearly a quality player. But again, it, it, it's uh, consistency, it's the injuries um, that have really been my main frustration with him. And Artur, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll maybe see a few more minutes of him, but then uh, yes, yeah. he'll probably be on his way back to Juventus in the summer. The, the definition of forgotten man, certainly him. But yes. Chloe, Chris talked about Nunez and, and, and the importance that, that he'll have. The likelihood is, certainly until... Jota comes back, that Klopp is going to be using Nunez out on the left. So probably until sort of early February, maybe mid-February, um, you're looking at that kind of arrangement. How important is this January transfer window for Liverpool, not only in terms of maybe adding a midfielder, but do you think the club also need to go out and get another left winger too? Or is it a case of being patient and waiting for the two very good options we have out there to get back to fitness? No, I, I think Liverpool needs to do business in the window. They didn't do business, you know. I mean, yeah, they brought in Nunes. They didn't bring a midfielder. And our tour is just not good enough. Let's be perfectly honest. I mean, saying this, he might pull out a masterclass for the second half of the season. If he does, please do so. Um, but Liverpool are now in a situation where they need to revamp it all over again. I mean, there's there's talk about the fact that we need and we want three new midfielders. That's down to us being not good enough in the tra- in the last couple of transfer windows. When we've been on top, we've not gone after the players we really want. I mean, Tushimeni didn't pick us. Okay, that's not our fault. He, he picked a different team. But you need a backup then. You can't. If, if Liverpool lose out on Jude Bellingham, I think it's it just will not sit right with the fans because... You have been talking and you've made it known to the world how big Jude Bellingham is for you and how much you want him for the past two seasons. So you can't, you, if, if if Liverpool lose out on that, not just when it hurts, I'll be extremely angry because you can't gloat how much you love him and how much you want him and you can't put in the back work that we've done to then just let him go somewhere else. We've got to be prepared to pay whatever the hell they ask for. Um, so, yeah, I think we need a new midfielder. Obviously, that won't be Jude Bellingham because Dortmund's aren't going to sell him in the January transfer window. But we do need someone, whether that's Amrabat, Casado, you know, I'm, I'm not too sure, but we need a, another midfielder. Um, because the truth is, you can't rely on Naby Keita. You can't rely on Oxley chamberlain Jordan Henderson's had more injuries at the beginning of this season than he ever, ever has had before. Fabinho's been absolutely woeful this season. Um, Tiago's just he, he's not available or fit every game. James Milner's 36, 37. You know, when you look at that midfield, you do need, I mean, Harvey Elliott, 19, being unbelievable, but can't play every single game. You need more bodies in there who are available. Um, and I think I think we do need uh, another forward because whether you sign Bobby Firmino or not to another contract, you can't rely on him being on this form the next couple of seasons and also when you get Lewis Diaz and Jota back there's no way I'm not putting them in the starting lineup so you've got to somehow figure it out I, I think Firmino then goes to like you know last choice for me when you've got Diaz, Jota and Nunes all fit um, just because you know where we're at 
So I think Liverpool do need to do business because they've had a right there with with uh, whatever this doctor situation is going on. The fact that you've brought, you know, Luis Diaz back too soon and he's now out for the rest of the season pretty much, that's on us. That's not on anyone else. We've not timed Sutton correctly. And you got a hint of that when they said Naby Keita um, was, wasn't back until after the you know, international break or something, but it turns out he was on the bench and he was sound, you know, and, and Jürgen Klopp even turned around and said, we've been told at the wrong time frames here because he wasn't included in the in the Champions League squad, but he could have been. Um, and that just gives you a sight. So I think uh, Luis Diaz is, is, you know, it's a hard one to take. It's a horrific miss for Liverpool Football Club. And I think we have to... Um, get some more backup because Jota, if this is a reoccurring injury or something, who knows what happens there. You're then pretty much relying on Darwin Nunes, Firmino and Salah to go again and again and again. Um, I'm not having that Carvalho can play left wing in a really massive game for us. I think he's a brilliant young talent, but I wouldn't want to see him on, on the left wing on a starting lineup when we're, we're facing someone like Manchester City. I just I wouldn't. Um, and I wouldn't like seeing Harvey Elliott in a right wing position. So I think we need backup because you just don't Lewis Diaz is out now. You don't know when Jota will be back because he's he's got this reoccurring injury as well that we've got to look after. Uh, whether you can rely on Firmino staying fit after last year, I'm not too sure. Something happens to Salah, God help us. And and Nunes feels like the exact same. So I, I do feel like we need another body in there. I think that's a very strong argument. I definitely agree with that every everywhere I just said um, when it came to, to Bellingham and the whole midfield situation. Obviously, looking for more of a uh, a sort of a lower price solution in this window before we try and make him the the main signing in the summer. I suppose with the forward situation, it's like you know maybe you do need. There's an argument there that you need the extra body anyway, sort of over and apart from. Um, the injuries that we've suffered now and, and, and the current situation. And with Diaz, you know, you look at it and it's easy to forget because he, he's been out now since since we lost to Arsenal. I think he was injured um, during that game. Um, he was one of our best players in the early part of the season. He was one of them you looked at and said, you know what, you, you know, you can sort of hold your head high based on what you're doing. Um, and, and with both him and Josh, I think you touched on it there, Chloe. It's like, you know, there's a time frame for when they're going to be back, but what's the time frame for them getting back to top form? And how much of an impact does that have? So again, that would probably strengthen uh, the arguments for getting a forward. I think it'll be one of these windows where my prediction would be Liverpool go out and they buy a midfielder, but they don't get a forward and, and that causes a lot of anger. And I think just from what we've seen in the past from Liverpool, they might go, we don't want to just buy, you know, the messages that we don't want to buy stop gaps. And then, you know, you look at signs like Artur and Carbach and you think, well, if the policy is a little bit inconsistent, but th- that's just my expectation on it um i'll stay with you though chloe because you know you spoke a lot in the early part of the season as when we were trying to work out what was going wrong with this team and you were saying it seems to put the most blame of all on the players who weren't performing you mentioned one of them there in fabinho also we've seen van dyke and trent um maybe not at their best level as well so how much is the onus on them to improve as much as liverpool improving tactically as much as Liverpool buying players. Could that be the thing that actually defines the season? Whether those three players I mentioned can, can get back into top form themselves? Yeah, of course, because you've just mentioned three players that, you know, 
even I don't know seven months ago, if one of them was out of the squad, you'd be slightly worried. Um, you've got your backbone in there. You've got one of the greatest defenders of all time in there, and you've got possibly going to be one of the best right backs ever in the world. It's a case of the lads who haven't stepped up need to step up, and we need to hit the ground running. I don't think Fabinho's got any excuse. Yeah, you've been to Qatar, but you played one game. You should have had a break. You've you should be back. Um, and I, I I do believe that. I don't like. Sadly, we don't have time to sit here and say no. It's all right. You know, we can work you back into. No, you've been crap all season. You've had a nice little break, whether you've been training or not. With you know, you've needed to stay training to be honest, because you've been not been good. Um, so I, I don't think there should be any excuse for Fabinho to come back and not play well. I thought Virgil Van Dijk looked better. Um, you know, before the break. He looked decent throughout the um, World Cup. Obviously, he missed a penalty, and I hope that does not, you know, affect his confidence in any way. It doesn't seem like it would, but, you know, he is the captain of, of the Dutch team, so it will have got to him a bit. He's got to come back to form, you know, and, and, and Trent. If Trent's not back in form after pretty much an entire month off, I, I don't know, like, I know he's been in Qatar, and I know he's been training, but that's not playing games every two days. You know, you, you've had time off here. Um, and those, the big players all need to come back running. I need Darwin Nunes to show up. You need Mo Salah. I mean, I'm hoping that this break's done him well. But the end of, like, you know, the latter stages before we went into the break was probably when he was at his best. So you just never know. The break might have come at the wrong time for him. Um, but you need these players who haven't been playing well and you could say that about quite a fair amount of players in our team right now uh, you need them to come back we need obviously tactical changes we need the energy we need you know we just need to do the basics so good and we need to keep everyone fit um, and then hopefully you know the big players will step up once again and, and do it for us so yeah um, football's a team game you need 11 players but you need around nine or ten to be absolutely excellent to drag the other through. We haven't been like that. We've had like three good players <laughs> playing really well um, all season, and the rest hit and miss. Um, and you you can't expect to win a team game when seven of yours aren't playing at the at the greatest level that you need to play at. So yeah, um, we need all the players to come back and hit form, and hopefully, you know, a lot of them have been the the World Cup. Hopefully they still come back energised and hungry that they've missed out on something. Uh, yeah, you missed out on it with your, your national team, but come back and have a goal and reach that goal and make the season a kind of redemption where you get to win something big. And hopefully that's like the Champions League. Um, but yeah, hopefully the players will come back. And I think it's particularly interesting to look at the likes of, of Fabinho and Trent, given their limited minutes. You hope that, given that there was only seven Liverpool players that went to the tournament, that, like you say, the energy does return to the team. And I think one of the ways that manifests itself is the pressing game. And we won't go into it fully here, but Fabio Cavallio was talking, um, I think, after the first Dubai Super Cup friendly against Leon about the emphasis on bringing the press back. Um, and that's kind of an exciting thing to hear because you know, Liverpool haven't been... Uh, anything like 
as good as usual off the ball and, and defending starts from the front. I think one of the reasons that we'll have looks so vulnerable is that they haven't been able to defend as a unit and haven't been as effective in their press. So if the World Cup um, break does some good in that regard, especially people saying they look exhausted after last season, then it could be really important. But Chris, that was actually what I wanted to ask you about just before we spend the last sort of five minutes or so talking about Man City on Thursday. There's a table here which has been sort of gathered together by um, Steve Fenn um, to give him credit. And it shows the minutes that players from each like big Premier League club have played at this tournament. So Liverpool have only had 1,788 minutes uh, recorded across their players. And for some context, Chelsea are 3,300, United 3,500, Tottenham 3,600 and City 4,600. So that gives you an idea of where they're at relative to, to some of their rivals. And especially with players like Fabinho and Trent, who have, like Chloe says, um, have had much of a rest. Do you think in this really unique season, the the extent of the break that Liverpool have had across their squad is going to be something that actually makes a big difference? Or is it going to be one of those things that in reality maybe isn't as big as it's sort of made out to be? I think given that it was a break but wasn't really a break for a lot of players. It, it could well do, to be honest. I mean, the minutes you've just said there, the vast majority of them will have been Virgil van Dijk and Alisson. Um, in terms of the others, I mean, Fabinho, look, about a year or two ago, I, I, I would have thought Fabinho was borderline undroppable, but as Chloe quite rightly says, he's been poor this season. Um, and Casemiro, Ultimately, did 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 a very good job for, for for Brazil. I know they should have done a lot better in terms of going at least to the semi-finals, but still, I, I think it was a no-brainer that he was going to get in ahead of Fabinho. Trent Alexander-Arnold, look, <laughs> we all know how good he is, but ultimately, he he wasn't in the plans of Gareth Southgate. And as Chloe says again, he's he's pretty much had a break. Henderson, I thought, did really well to kind of force his way into. The starting eleven for the for those three successive games. Nunez, I've I've, I've already mentioned as well, and Canate. Look, I was staggered that he did not start the final yesterday. Absolutely staggered. I'm not calling Upamecano a bad defender, and also I don't. You know, I know Varane was always set to start the game, but how Canate couldn't get into that starting 11 yesterday is beyond me. For me, he is genuinely France's best defender. And I'm not just saying that with a red hat on. I'm saying that from what I'm seeing from the quality of the players that they have available. Anyway, back to the point. Uh, I think very much um, it could be a case of, you know, a lot of players being rested. But again, we look at Man City, who we're going to talk about shortly. The, the best striker in the Premier Leagues had a month off, hasn't he? So they very much had players who've had rests. Um, not as much as Liverpool, of course, but still we'll, we'll see how that goes in terms of um, the, the lineups on Thursday. I expect both teams to go as strong as possible. Uh, and I know we'll mention our lineups in a bit. I'm, I'm pretty sure on what I think it, it's going to be along the lines of. But I think... Liverpool, it was the least Liverpool players at a World Cup since 1994, I believe. So that in itself, you know, maybe says about um, it's a very strange situation, especially given the success, the success of last season. But of course, Egypt weren't there, Scotland weren't there, Colombia weren't there, um, and Diaz wouldn't have been there anyway through injury. So hopefully, fingers crossed, the month off for a lot of players has done the world of good. 
And did you have something to add on that, Chloe? Yeah, I, I just want to know, you know, the and you won't be able to tell me, so I don't know why I'm asking, but like the percentage here is that Liverpool only took around seven players to the World Cup and we played yeah, yeah. near 2,000 minutes. City took 17 and have played 4,000. So it's it, that minutes thing is a little bit, like I don't know how much you can take from it because... Mm. With only seven players, we've hit near 2,000, I think you said. I don't know how many Manchester United took or Chelsea. I just remember City took 16 or 17 to the World Cup. So, a 16 and 17 to only be on 4,000 doesn't seem like a lot to me in my head for some reason. So, I mean, I, I'm moving on to now the next part, which I won't, I won't move on to too much. But in comparison... That's still a fair amount of minutes for the players that we actually took out there, and um, because you didn't you didn't expect Trent to play, I, I don't think I didn't really expect Jordan Anderson to play, but Jordan Anderson got got his way in there. Canate, I I wanted to play, but I didn't expect him to play a lot. So, with the the only seven players that we took, that is quite a little bit of football for us compared to you know the other teams, which obviously had more, but they took a considerable amount more of players. Because that, that's the point as well with, with City. Edison, for example, only played the Cameroon game for Brazil. Xiao Cancelo, for some reason, got benched for, for the two knockout games for Portugal. Um, Walker was injured at the start, wasn't he, as well? So, I, yeah, I, 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 totally get, I totally get the points being made there as well. Yeah, and, and this table is almost sort of so detailed that you could spend... All night looking at it really. Um, just to quickly mention how, how many players those other teams did have it. It was 16 for Man City, 11 for Tottenham and Man United, and 12 for Chelsea. Incidentally, Arsenal had one more player than Liverpool, but slightly fewer minutes, so they'll be quite well placed too. Obviously, quite a bit up the road from Liverpool at the moment. But but like Chloe says, we'll talk about um the game against Man City now on Thursday in the Carabao Cup. Um, potentially, well, it looked like the worst straw that you could possibly get, really, um, going away to City, obviously the reigning uh, Premier League champions. But could it actually be a good time to play them? Um, I'll, I'll stay, stay with you, Chris. We don't fully know yet about the players who sort of reached the, the quarterfinals. I mean, we can say that Julian Alvarez, who probably would have played this game, he, he won't be playing, obviously. Um, the players who reached the quarterfinals are probably the big question mark in terms of their availability. So I'll just let me just read out the list of players who got to the last eight for Man City. Ake, Walker, Stones, Phillips, Foden, Grealish, Cancelo, Diaz, and Silva all got there, which is um obviously you know a huge amount of players to be getting towards the sharp end of the competition. Guardiola was saying casting doubt the other day about how many of them would be able to feature. So are you feeling more confident? now about this fixture than you might have been maybe before the World Cup or is it not sort of changed too much in your mind? No, I think you're right to say that also as as you mentioned there, Phillips and Grealish didn't see the light of day pretty much, did they? I know uh, Grealish scored against Iran but um, him and Phillips barely got off the bench as well. Um, do you want me to kind of say what lineup I'm I'm thinking now? Yeah, you can do. Obviously with Liverpool we saw Alisson uh, back in training today. Yeah. Um, but we don't really know about the other players who got to the quarters. So, yeah, it could, by all means, yeah, go for it. I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, Kelleher was always going to start this game as well, wasn't he? Barring injury last minute. I'm thinking 
given that in the two Super Cup friendlies, there was one change, and that was Oxley chamberlain for Carvalho in the second game, I'm thinking quite a fair bit of me would be surprised if we didn't see something along the lines of Kelleher, Milner, Matip Gomez, Robertson, Elliot Basetic, Thiago, Salah, Firmino, and one more. That's my thinking, based off the consistency that went with those two games. Of course, it was a wholesale changes for the second half of the first game. Players got more minutes in the second game. But that's very much what I'm thinking. Maybe it's a bit too easy for me to just sit here and say that. But that's what I'm thinking in terms of they're the players that have got the most minutes. And I, I, I very much expect Liverpool to go strong, as strong as possible on Thursday. And that's very much what I'm thinking based off the friendlies or based off the the um, the, the lineups I saw. And also, given that this fixture is away to Man City, does it not kind of force the hands to go a little bit strong? I think it probably applies for uh, for both managers. I think we'll probably see uh, De Bruyne and Haaland playing for City. Yeah. Obviously, what's one thing to mention is for City, a, a big boost really with De Bruyne going out a lot earlier than, than people might have expected. They've got Lukaku to thank for that. Yeah, they have indeed. But um, it's it's one of them where if, if options are limited, you almost are going to have to use players you, you might not have ordinarily wanted to in this game, you know, this would have been a prime Alvarez game, you think. But now it probably would be Haaland starting. So obviously that um, raises its own challenges. The Bull have kept them out in, in the couple of games so far. But it'd be, it'd be some feat to, to do it three times. But Chloe, this this is a very weird situation, isn't it? Really, with, with Liverpool still getting players back. City still getting a lot of players back. You know, the first game after the World Cup break, you know, both teams will, will be rusty um, in, in that sense. So, how, how do you sort of see the situation with it? Um, it's it's one of them where, uh, you know, I think people who went out in the quarters should should still be able to play this game. <laughs> like I really do. Um, the quarters was a little while ago now. Like, I I maybe the likes of Jordan Henderson. Maybe I don't know how much more you can get out of him. I think he might need a rest, but. Your names of like Ruben Diaz should be able to play. Cancelo should be able to play. Um, Bernardo Silva should be able to play. I, I think a lot of them should be able to play. Um, because at, at the end of the day, you've got to field a decent lineup, and I think that's exactly what they'll do. Um, and I think for Liverpool, it's a case of Allison came back into training today. I think Trent came back into training. So, you've got, you know, not a lot of time, but you've, the majority of years who went to Qatar have been fit. You've stayed in shape. You've had to work out. You haven't played a lot. So, it's basically just been like training. It's been like a pre-season for them, so they should be able to come back in and play. I, I don't think a centre-half shouldn't be allowed. Like, Ruben Diaz just should be able to play. He's a centre-half. Cancelo had a nice little break of not playing two of the games, should be able to play. Um, so I'm, I'm very stuck with this one because I just don't know what lineup anyone's going to field. But I think that they should both be strong um, because, like, anyone who went out in the quarters should be available, in my opinion. Whether you start them is a different thing, but they should at least be available. Um, 
so yeah, it, it, it's it's very weird. I've got no idea how Liverpool line up. To be perfectly honest, not a clue. I didn't really watch the pre the well mid season games. Um, I had one eye on them, but it wasn't like I'm not gonna get anything out of those games. The only way I'm gonna know if we if we're back and we're playing well is what happens on Thursday night and then what happens against you know uh, Aston Villa and then Leicester. A pre-season friendly in Dubai isn't going to help me out to know where we're at. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of them. I've got no idea what's, what what team anyone's going to field, but I would put out a strong side and I'd be asking the players to just go again for me because the twenty second to then play not till the twenty sixth. You know, you just do this week in, week out, but you have got to go back to doing it. Um, <laughs> so you might as well just start. Yeah, it, I think we'll find out a lot more with uh, with Klopp's press conference um, in the next in the next couple of days in terms of who's available, how, how the team might look, or, or maybe he might he might send Linders to do it as he likes to do sometimes for this competition. And, and like you rightly say, Chloe, there's, there's also been a trend pictured at the um, active training centres today, so. And how much he'll be involved, we don't know, but not playing too much at the World Cup, it, it it's theoretically possible. So yeah, that will about do us this episode. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please do give it a five star review on Spotify, follow it, and also press the notification button so you get um a little message every time a new episode comes up. But yeah, thanks to Chloe and thanks to Chris. Um, we will see you uh, for the next episode of Red Zone Restricted at some point later this week. And until then, take care.